Al Berry and Tim Parrish. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Berry and along with me is Tim Parrish, a.k.a. The Real DFG. You can find him on Twitter at the real DFG, and you can find me on Twitter at Puck Junk. So today we are going to talk about a couple of different topics, a big sports convention coming up this weekend, a uh, national, international pandemic that's uh, affecting hockey and everything else, a famous goalie getting his number retired, a Hall of Fame legend passing away, a crazy five-goal game by a uh, current star. Those are our uh, topics for today. So Tim, how are you doing? Um, much better. Better than last now that week. We're re- no, much better now that we're recording our latest podcast. Oh, okay. So I'm I'm glad this is an upper for you. I'd much rather do this than go to work. Oh yeah, me so. too. If only this was our real full time jobs, right? Heck, and, heck yeah. When then we could just talk about hockey and hockey collectibles to you know whoever wants to hear us talk about hockey and hockey collectibles. Talk ad nauseum. So uh, I assume you're washing your hands and 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 uh, and uh, keeping clean. No, I'm trying to get it so I don't have to go to work. Oh yeah, that's great. <laughs> well, <laughs> except it's not great because yeah. this is something. That, so we're talking about the coronavirus, aka COVID nineteen. Uh, maybe we'll start with that since that's the elephant in the room, although it's a microscopic elephant, it's, you know, a virus. The virus, hopefully not in the room, but, uh, so the the COVID-19 virus is, um, the World Health Organization on Wednesday has declared COVID-19 a pandemic. So already in other sports, including in Europe, you've had, soccer matches that were basically played in front of empty stadiums because they don't want gatherings of lots of people in one confined area where uh, something like uh, coronavirus could spread, uh, you know, rather quickly and easily from people. Um, But now this has, um, this has affected the NHL. So the Columbus Blue Jackets uh, their next two games, March 12th against the Pittsburgh Penguins and March 14th versus Nashville Predators, will be played in an empty stadium. Uh, of course, they're giving refunds to anybody who bought tickets, and anybody who's a season ticket holder can get a credit or refund or exchange those tickets. Um, and then, and that comes from an order from the governor of Ohio just basically saying, yeah, no no gatherings because before it was a recommendation and the blue jackets are like, well, but yeah, I was going like- to say they originally basically told them to go pound salt because they weren't going to dive out of the revenue that they generate well, from the tick from the gate. And they make, they make more on gate and then they do on TV. So NHL needs it. You know, this isn't the NFL where they get, you know, billions of dollars for the broadcast. Right. All, most of the most of the money the teams make are from the from the tickets at the event. They certainly aren't getting TV right money. Right. So so okay. So that's with Columbus and then the San Jose Sharks. So the uh, Santa Clara County has uh, also said no uh, no large gatherings. So the Sharks games. 
on March 19th versus the Montreal Canadiens, March 21st versus the Boston Bruins, and March 29th versus the Arizona Coyotes will be played as scheduled at the SAP Center, but will be closed to non-essential personnel. We'll be close to the general public. So with all of these games, obviously the officials can be there. The team personnel can be there. The media who covers the game could be there. Um, the, uh, you know, staff members, you know, NHL staff, scorekeepers, people like that, they can all be there, but the actual uh, fans no. So uh, have not heard anything yet if this is going to also affect the Blackhawks or other teams um, as of yet. Yeah. Most of the teams have actually made announcements and it's more or less we're continuing as, as planned until we're told otherwise stay tuned for more information. Um, I've seen statements from a couple teams, Carolina released something, Pittsburgh released something. Um, So I think most teams, unless they're actually being forced to do it and I get it. I mean, you want to be socially responsible and you want to be following the proper precautions in the midst of this entire thing. But at the same time, you are running a business and your primary source of revenue is these games and bringing people in and, you know, putting on the entertainment and the show for them. And so, I mean, I, 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 I can kind of see both angles to that. So some of the teams holding off until, you know, they're told otherwise. I get it. Um, I'm actually kind of surprised that it's gotten to this point. I mean, you're talking not just not just hockey with, you know, in Europe, in Europe the, the German League, I think the Finnish League, the Austrian League, they all canceled their seasons. They were all in the midst of playoffs. And they just basically said, we're done. Um, you know, you've got numerous sporting events and and other events that have been canceled across this country and Canada. You've got major entertainers canceling concerts, canceling all sorts. The NCAA even announced that March Madness is going to be played without fans in the stands. So, I mean, March Madness, you know, one of the biggest sporting events in the country is you know the NCAA is just saying, look, this is what we're going to do. These are the precautions we're take. We'll still have the event, but we're not going to have you know fans in the stands. Here's what I th- I think this is what they should do. They should allow. So if you're the home team, you can have two fans and have a contest. Like who's your biggest fan, and then whoever gets first place and second place, you get to be in the stands. And you can sit wherever you want in the whole entire stadium. And then the other team gets to have one fan. That way you still have home field advantage or home ice advantage, right? So two fans and one fan, right? Yeah, so the home team gets two fans, the the opposing team gets one. And then, you know, go about your business cheering and everything else for your team. Now, if I am the fan of the visiting team, Am I allowed to also bring one bodyguard to protect me from the two home team fans that outnumber me two to one? Nothing's going to happen because you have that giant stadium, so you can just run, and they won't find you. Cool, because we'll send you to a Flyers game in a Penguins jersey. Oh, I'd love that. Uh Uh-huh. Bring it on. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. 
And then you'd have to contend with two fans and gritty. Well, if if I'm going to a Flyers game, I got more to worry about than the freaking coronavirus. I can tell you that. <laughs> so, um, so uh, just a, cu- a couple things uh, that I just I just want to mention. Um, one is that uh, if the NHL cancels the rest of the season, um, it would be a little over. It was a little over a hundred years ago in 1919 when they canceled their uh, Stanley Cup Finals because of the uh, the flu emp- epidemic that was killing people, uh, including players. And so no winner was declared for the 1919 Stanley Cup Final due to a a, a plague. So well, that was um, the Spanish flu, right? Yeah, the Spanish influenza, and uh, so now we have the Chinese flu. Yeah, the the uh, coronavirus. The um, who is uh, it? Wuhan. I don't like calling it that. I think that's I I I I, I honestly I I heard somebody when I saw a clip of Fox News and they're like the Wuhan virus, and it, it sounds like. He's basically trying to blame China for it. I mean, nobody called it that except Fox News. You know what I mean? Because I thought it was named after the region where it was first discovered. Well, that's the region, yeah, where it's first discovered. But I—that's not the medical term for it. That's that's media sensationalizing it and trying to give it. Uh, I don't know. I I, I just I don't. Which like I think that... most of this is media sensationalized. But you know, whatever. People, yeah. People are going to throw their numbers out there and say. Look at the percentages. This is this, and this is this. You can't argue with math. Well, well, you can't argue with math because your math numbers, it depends on what you look at, and they're not always correct because we're talking about something that up to this point has either not been identified, even though it's existed for a while, but it wasn't identified and picked up, and how many people, because the symptoms of it are just like the flu, how many people think they just have the flu and don't get tested? So it's I mean, like the flu, but worse. Yeah, instead of having a flu for the week for a week, you have the flu for two weeks. I mean, it's essentially what it is. And then at that time, you're spreading it. Like, see, I know myself. When I get the flu, for me, a flu is a three day thing. There's the day where it starts. There's a day where it's miserable, and then there's the day where I recover. And then the recover is gradually from that. But really, like three days, I'm miserable. And then after that, it's like I'm, yeah. I'm there's better. a few days of the yeah. There's a few days of the incubation or period that goes mm-hmm. on before that. Well, mm-hmm. that's obviously a lot longer for this, so it's not detected in the beginning because people don't think they're necessarily sick, and that's why it makes it a little more dangerous because people don't know about it. And obviously, like any sickness, it affects people that are elderly, already sick, you know, compromised immune systems, mm-hmm. things like that. Anything that's young. out there yeah. is going to have higher mortality rates for those types of things because that's 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 what it is. So I don't know that I believe anybody's numbers at this point. All I know is this is the reality we're dealing with right now. Everybody's panicked. Everybody's buying toilet paper. God knows why. But, you know, that's where we that's the world we live in at this point that is the world we live in at this point um so one thing i want to say though uh, another um unintended consequence of the covid19 virus and the nhl now having some games that will be played in front of empty arenas is that 
we're going to have these games that happen in empty arenas, which means there's going to be photos from those games with empty arenas, which means that the the memes are going to be merciless with this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, because we're going to have a picture from that Columbus-Pittsburgh game, and you know that it's going to say something like, just a typical hockey game with no fans in attendance, ha, 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 right? You know what I mean? Like, the NHL already has an image problem when it comes to, like, attendance figures and stuff. I mean, you might have sellout games and stuff, but everybody's always going to just kind of say, oh, hockey, you know, not as popular as baseball or football or basketball or in some regions, NASCAR or in some regions, high school girls tennis. You know what I mean? So uh, a a picture of an empty stadium with, you know, Sidney Crosby scoring a goal in front of an empty Columbus Blue Jackets stadium is going to be a meme. It's just waiting to happen with some really snarky or snide. I was trying to combine those two words with some sort of snarky or snide comment, you know, a typical NHL attendance on a Thursday night or something like that. So, well, this will be the first, this is going to be the first NHL game with no fans, right? Because the Sharks already said they're going to do it, but they're on the road. They're on the road. Yes. Yeah. So this is going to be the first test i i would imagine yeah for this, for this whole thing so here's what i want all right if columbus scores are they still going to shoot the cannon off i don't know it's a guy who shoots the cannon and essential team personnel i don't think he is right I mean, so- the guy that runs the scoreboard and plays all the music to pump the crowd up well there's no crowd to pump up so are they just going to hand the one fan or the two fans since they're a uh, home team hand them like an ipod with their favorite songs so they could cheer to that well, they're not going to beat one or two fans. This is just I, some I shit you made up. That was, right. <laughs> it is. But they said essential personnel, team personnel, opposing team personnel, essential media members, and production team. So, yeah, so your TV TV and radio crews. Right. right. You so you're your penalty have... timekeepers and your referees and your goal judges. Sure. You don't and need you don't an have... announcer. Yeah, you wouldn't need the the in-house announcer because who are you announcing to? I mean, Except for maybe the one minute remaining in the third period. But look, uh, how many times you watch games and you hear like, you know, you watch or you watch like highlights that they run later where they have somebody mic'd up on the ice and you know something's playing in the background like a song or something and they're singing on the bench or something like that. I think some players, like a lot of them, focus and and kind of drown all of that stuff out, but. I mean, some players might, they might use that. Like, that's their fuel, the crowd cheering or the music playing or the announcer or any of that. I mean, that's like, you know, that's your, that's your motivation. Well, funny that you mention that because Tuesday night on Late Night with Seth Meyers, Charles Barkley, NBA legend Charles Barkley was a guest. And Meyers asked a couple of questions about, about, um, how COVID-19 is affecting uh, uh, professional sports. So he said, do you think that they should cancel uh, the NBA season or not have um, the, the, the game, you know, fans at the games? And he, he said, no, he said, because you still got to live life. He said, if you're afraid of everything, then you're just never going to leave the house. Like, don't be stupid, you know, wash your hands, take good care of yourself. If you're sick, get yourself checked out. But you know, people shouldn't be afraid to do stuff. And that's that's what's happening if you're saying, okay, nobody can come to the NBA games. The other thing that he 
he uh, talked about, because Seth Meyers actually asked this question, was do the home team fans make a difference? difference and he said yes they absolutely make a difference he said there are times when you're tired and the fans just get you pumped up and riled there's times when you know you've played you said especially in the 80s when they would play like sometimes four games in like five nights or something and he said that yeah you know you're you're beat but they're cheering you on and you just you 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 find that that little bit of extra huh you feed off of it you do you know you do it's 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 being somebody who normally plays in front of zero fans when I play my beer league hockey, I know that one of the guys I played with, his girlfriend would be at all the games and she would cheer very loudly for us. And I would hear her. I'd be picking up. You know, I play defense and I'd skate. You know, I'd hurry back to, you know, they dump in the puck. I'd go and pick up the puck and skate around behind the net. And I'd hear her yell, all right, Sal, go Sal. You know what I mean? And I just kept yeah. my feet moving. You know, it was just a nice, it makes me smile a little bit. You know what I mean? And just like, okay, keep moving, keep moving. You know, because our games would be at like 1130 at night on a Tuesday and we're tired anyway. Um, yeah. Well, I equate I, it to the same thing as when my band plays, you know. If we're up there playing and, you know, nobody in the crowd, people are having their conversations and doing their thing and no one's paying attention to us. Well, we're just playing. We're background music. But if we're playing and people are up and they're singing, they're dancing and they're having a good time, we feed off of that. You know, we play better. We interact with the crowd more and it's there's a lot more energy and everything. And I think most musicians um, from that standpoint, you know, you get that. And at in in athletics and athletes aren't that much different they're entertainers too they're just they're they're playing a sport so you know feeding off the energy of the crowd that's i mean that's the thing did barkley talk about his feud with draymond green too while he was on no he didn't he didn't okay but he made fun of Shaq, which he always does yeah he made fun of draymond green too he might have he told him he's the he he said he's the least famous member of a boy band. <laughs> let me uh, let me ask you this though. In in uh, all your years of playing in a band, yeah. have you ever what's what's the smallest crowd you've played to? Like have you ever played to like an almost empty room? Yeah. One guy. I'm not joking. One guy. Your dad? No. Just some random guy. We played a show at a banquet hall. We got hired by a group that was doing a charity event, mm-hmm. um, and it was a fundraiser uh, for like a youth youth organization within that group. Mm-hmm. And they had this whole thing planned out and stuff. And we show up and we set up, and it's about time to go on. There's no one there. And we're like, "What is going on?" And we went on and played. It was just like it was like a practice. one guy showed up and he sat there and he listened to us for like a whole set. That was it. No one else came. So nobody else bought a fundraiser ticket. um, People bought tickets, but they didn't come. They just bought tickets and just whatever kind of thing. And I don't think they publicized it very well either. (laughs) Understatement of the, of the podcast. But uh, yeah. So one person, that was the smallest we ever played in front of. Wow. And then we've played played festivals where there's, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people 
you know, milling about. Mm-hmm. So, you know. They're there, but not is. necessarily paying attention to you. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, anybody listening. I'm not in some famous band. I'm in basically like a, a bar band that just plays for fun. And we get gigs and do our thing. But, you know, just like any other band, you know, we're not the Beatles. We're not Motley Crue. We're not Kiss. But we're decent enough, and people dig what we're doing, and we feed off of that. So, What's your band name? Uh, we're called 659. And where can they find more about your band? What is it? Um, I get to plug this now? Um, uh, why not? We're you on can the topic. Go, you can go online um, to 659.us, spelled out S-I-X-F-I-V-E-N-I-N-E. Or you can find us on Facebook at 659band on Facebook. Um, and, yeah, so we've been together for quite a while. That's, uh, that's awesome. And full yeah. disclosure, my wife is the singer in the band, so there you go. There you go. And you've heard her. You've heard her sing. She's yeah, pretty. She's good. She's, right. she's, she's right. good. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I when I saw you guys uh, perform, I, I enjoyed it. Um. So what I want to talk about next, uh, real quick, since we're plugging things, is I want to plug the this uh, sports collectibles convention that I'm going to be selling at uh, this weekend. It's the Chicago Sports Spectacular. It's held twice annually. It's held in. November and in March. So this show is going to be uh, Friday, March 13th, Saturday, March 14th, and Sunday, March 15th at the Donald E. Stevens Convention Center in Rosemont. So suburb of Chicago, even though it's called the Chicago Sports Spectacular, it's in the neighboring suburb of Rosemont. Nice big convention center. Usually, well, when they have the national every other year in Chicago, it's at the Donnelly Stevens Convention Center. Uh, the convention center also hosts things like Comic-Con Chicago and Anime Midwest and Anime Central and lots of uh, big conventions. So um, they, uh, <clears throat> I'll be selling my hockey t-shirts. I'll also be selling hockey cards and other hockey collectibles thinning out the collection a little bit as far as hockey cards, hockey collectibles. Um, but then also selling, uh, the puck junk shirts that, you know, I, I also sell online. I'll be selling them at a discount at the show. Um, by the way, the show will also have, you know, many other dealers selling all different sorts of sports. Um, and, uh, there'll be a couple of hockey legends, uh, signing autographs on the Sunday of the show, Grant Fear, uh, Jerry Cheever's, uh, Brian Trottier and Ed Belfour will all be autograph guests at the show. And as of right now, the show is still uh, going on as planned. They sent an email late last week that said the show will go on. And then even today I checked the website and they said uh, that the Donald E. Stevens Convention Center has every intention to keep the show going and that they're going to just be taking extra precautions for you know health and sanitary reasons but um yeah so the show will go on uh i know it sounds kind of uh iffy to have a sports memorabilia convention is as uh well i would say that sports card collectors are definitely a little bit more neat and tidy of a bunch than comic book collectors but that's not saying much <laughs> yeah i was gonna say I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna shut down a gathering of people, uh, you de- definitely uh, look to a a hobby type show with all the 
mom's basement dwellers that haven't taken a shower in a, a month or, or two. Right. And the other thing is, is that <laughs> you have people coming from I hate to all trivialize over. it like that, but, you know. You have people coming from all over the country to this show. It's not just a local show. People tell me, they say that the show is second biggest to the national. I mean, there are people who come from all over the country to this show as buyers and sellers. And they say, you know what? It takes well, me 12 hours to drive here, but it's worth it. I mean, one guy was telling me, he's like, oh, I drive from, well, Tennessee's not quite 12 hours. But another guy was telling me, like, he drives from Atlanta and it just it's worth his time to do this show because it, it it's such a big draw. So, I mean, this would be another, like, obviously um, lost revenue. Cause I mean, I could just imagine, I mean, if the, the show gets canceled, they got to refund all the people, their admission fees, they got to refund all the people who prepaid autograph tickets. Uh, I mean, you got a lot of things. I'm not saying if, you know, it's worth dying over. I just, I'm not worried because I'm clean. I wash my hands and I'm not uh, Yeah, a public service announcement. Wash your damn hands, everyone. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm I'm not an idiot, and as much as I make fun of those, uh, those or shouldn't say those, but those people, th- those people, those th- you know, you card you card collectors with your Chicago you Bulls come to the show. P- you people who come to the show in your Chicago Bulls three peat t shirts from 1993, you wash your hands. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, but you're right. This is a huge show. I mean, you know. A lot of people have little regional shows that go on, you know, 25, 50, 100 tables. I mean, this is a 350-plus vendor show. Yeah. So it does rival, you know, what what is at the National. Obviously, the National is a much bigger scale. And, you know, usually the Chicago Sports Spectacular doesn't see the vendors uh, or the, the manufacturers, I, I should say. You know, you won't see the upper decks and tops and those kind of things there. But you will see a lot of the bigger... Um, a lot of times you'll see a lot of the bigger dealers, um, you know, baseball card exchange is there a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. DNA is there a lot. Blowouts there a lot. So, I mean, you get, you, you, you get a, a good mix from around the country of, of a lot of, um, a lot of the same vendors that you'll see at, at a national, uh, type show. Plus the autograph tickets are usually really good. So it's always more than what I want to spend. The only there were only two times I wanted to pay for an autograph. One time, um, I think somebody, I think it was Ted Lindsay, and it was like twenty five dollars, and I wanted to get my Blackhawk book signed by him. I have this book from nineteen eighty six that has a picture of every Blackhawk from nineteen twenty six to nineteen eighty six. So he's in that book, and I wanted to get him to sign it. And they canceled. He he canceled his appearance because. There was a big snowstorm in Michigan, and he wasn't able to fly in Sunday morning for the show. So that that I didn't get to. I was going to buy the ticket. I went up to the table, and they're like, oh, no, that he, he canceled for today. And then the other one was Phil Esposito, again, because he's in the Black Hawk book. And I was just like, eh, when am I going to really see Phil Esposito? When am I going to, you know, this is my chance. He's in Chicago. And I want to say that his autograph ticket was something like $40 or $50. And I was just like, okay yeah i'm gonna bite the bullet right and that was the uh that was in uh november of 2016 and on that friday they had a ton of chicago cubs signing autographs and that was where after they just won the world series so 
It was ridiculous getting into the show. It took me 10 minutes to get into the show, and I had a pass to get into the show, but it just took me 10 minutes to fight that crowd up the escalator, through those doors. Um, I mean, it was worse on Friday. And then the, the line to buy an autograph ticket was like, I got in the line, and it went so far back, I couldn't see the front of the line. Like, I couldn't see where the line ended. I couldn't see that little thing that said tickets. I don't know, because maybe it went around the corner or something. But then after, like, waiting in line for, like, half an hour, I'm like, this is stupid. And I got, because I just figured, hey, he's going to, you know, I'm not, there's no way I'm going to get to the front of the line in this time, you know. So yeah. I was like, all right, guess I'm not getting Phil Esposito's autograph either. So the two times I wanted to, like, buy an autograph, I couldn't. Yeah. Well, I know at least with the hockey guys that are there, I've got a I've got a Trotsky autograph, I've got a Belfour, but I wouldn't mind, and I think I have Grant Fuhrer's too, but I wouldn't mind getting Jerry Cheevers or Potvin. I don't oh, have yeah. anything signed by either of them. Oh, uh, is is uh, Dennis Potvin going to be there too? Yeah, I know Fuhrer, Cheevers, Trotsky, and Belfour for sure. Yeah, Potvin was on the list unless he's canceled. Oh, okay. Maybe I shouldn't look hard enough. Yeah, he's supposed um, to be there at like 12.30 on Sunday. I would like to get a Grant Fuhr rookie card signed. That would yeah, be that'd pretty be cool. That would be cool. That's I, I could picture that card. I'd love to get that card signed. Cheevers, I would love to get his, uh, you know, those old Hall of Fame postcards and trading cards. Yeah. Well, he's in the, the set that came out in 87. So he does his card is not as common, but I'd love to get that card signed because I loved those paintings. Um, I, and was, I, have... I was gonna say I was thinking the um, one of the between the pipe sets has a profile shot of him mm-hmm. where it's up close with the mask with all the stitches all over it. Mm-hmm. I always thought it would be a cool card to have autographed. And then uh, you know, like as far as like Trottier, I mean, even though I, I like if I'm just like kind of dreaming here now, like what would I get signed by Trottier? It'd probably be something really lame, like his 9091 Pro Set card that pictures him as a penguin. I just love that card for some reason. So that would, or his 8182 Tops card, because I for a while I was trying to get every card in 8182 signed, just because I like that set and I had an extra set that I was sending out for autographs back when I used to write for autographs. Yeah. So, uh, and then as far as Belfour, you know, I have, I have his two main rookie cards autographed from Skate with the Hawks in 1990. He was at Skate with the Hawks in 1990, um, and this was back when the Blackhawks would do something, and you'd get like maybe 500 fans or 300 fans showing up. You know, yeah. and I could just go and, you know, get Ed Belfort's autograph and I probably handed him five cards and a Sharpie and he probably signed all five of them. I mean, I remember that same show getting like something ridiculous, like 10 cards signed by Ronick. One, I was a kid and they didn't say no to kids, but two, nobody wanted Ronick's autograph. So I kept going back to him for more autographs back in back at that show. So, I mean, I remember getting him. I remember the next year getting Dominic Hasek. Um, on on um his um pro cards rookie card or whatever pre rookie card whatever you want to call it with the indie ice, um but yeah cool. I mean it, 
it'd be fun. Like, I look at that and I go, oh, okay, Grand Fear's only $40. Jerry Cheever's only $40. Brian Trottier, only $40. And then you think about it, that's like $120 for three autographs. It is, but, I mean, if you're an autograph hound, that's probably nothing. I mean, when this you look true. at the prices of a lot of these anymore, I mean, when, when Emmett Smith charges $295 because... He was on Dancing with the Stars. It's kind of ridiculous. but That is ridiculous. You know, and I understand a lot of this goes into the royalty fees that the autograph company takes too. But yeah. you got to think that players or their players' agents are doing some type of negotiation to set their price. Because, you know, if you look at overall value of what an autograph is, look, Fernando Valenzuela is going to be there. Yeah. Just a standard flat autograph, $199. $199 for Fernando Valenzuela. <sighs> um, okay. Uh, maybe I'm missing something here, but, you know, I, I don't. I'm not the market for that. No. Let's put it that way. No. But, I mean, I, I, I like. Obviously, I mean, like, I remember many years ago, I think about this had to be like 2006 when I just started going to the shows again. Um, I remember Mario Lemieux was signing and it was like $200 and he was gone in like 15 minutes because nobody wanted his autograph or the, the three people who paid that paid that and nobody else even cared because it was $200. I mean, I thought about, I mean, I, I thought about it cause I was working a good job at the time, but then I was just like, that's a lot of money for like a little bit of ink, you know, it just, it wasn't worth it to me. I mean, obviously the guy's a legend and I'd love to have his autograph on something. I wouldn't even know what to pick because there's so many things I would want, I would want to get signed by him. But at the end of the day, you know. 200 bucks is not something I could justify. It just, well, to me, have, it doesn't, it doesn't. I have uh, plenty of certified autographs of him from cards. Right. I've, I've never gotten his signature in person. No. But I know plenty of people that have, and he's somewhat accessible. Mm -hmm. So it's not a, it's not really a hard get mm -hmm. yet. But, you know, you look at guys like, you know, Trottier is still kind of young, but, you know, I, I think Potfin's getting up there. Cheevers has got to be up there in age. Mm -hmm. You know, so these guys aren't going to be around forever. So, speaking of uh, speaking of which, Andre Richard. Oh uh, yeah, you like how I just I just set that up on a tee for you right there. Did so you, you? Just smack that out of the park. <laughs> that was a one timer right there. Not to make, uh... not to not not to have any. Not to make a joke at the expense of, of a legend, but yeah. so Andre Richard passed away uh, last week at age of 84. He was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in 1979. He had a long career. He won 11 Stanley Cups with the Montreal Canadiens. He was a first team All Star one time, second uh, team All Star three times. He scored uh, over 1,000 points, 1,046 points in 1,256 regular season games. I mean, I don't want to say he's best known as Maurice Richard's younger brother because he was a superstar in his own right. Uh, and, and, and maybe him being Rocket Richard's little brother might have opened 
some doors for him, but he was obviously a player that could stand on his own two skates because he played well with his brother. He played well without his brother. He played long after, you know, 15 years after his brother retired, he kept playing. So, I mean, he was obviously a legend in his own right. Yeah. And I don't know that, you know, yeah, you can look back on it and call him a superstar. Rocket Richard was a superstar. I mean, he's got a, he's got a trophy named after him, but the pocket rocket was a star. He, as he was known, which he hated that nickname, by the way, um, he was a star. I don't know that he would be, he was a superstar, at least in Montreal, though he was, I mean, teammates always talked about him and said he probably had the best conditioning and work ethic Mm -hmm. of anybody they had ever seen. Mm-hmm. You know, he was always the first one on the ice, the last one off the ice, and his skills, especially like his stick work and his handwork with the puck. I mean, they were next to none, and that's kind of what he was known for. Mm-hmm. Um, probably one of the most tenacious hockey players to ever play the game. And it, the funny part is when you hear guys that played with him and other Hall of Famers, you know, talk about him and and do these interviews, remembering you know how good he was. They always say how. You know, he was kind of quiet and reserved and, you know, kind of kept to himself kind of thing. But when you when you watch some of the highlights of him out there on the ice from back when he played, it's you're like, wow, you know, I don't know that you can even compare. Like a lot of times you make those comparisons to guys current, you know, he's kind of like so and so. I don't know who you would even compare him to. But uh, yeah, it's a shame that shame that he passed away. I know he would. He had suffered from Alzheimer's for a while. I think mm-hmm. is is what was going on. But uh, you know, those of you that are that are hockey collectors, you know, obviously, if you're a Canadians fan or Canadians person, you've you've obviously heard of Henri Richard for forever. I think the casual hockey fan may not know the name or recognize the name possibly other than the answer to a trivia question of who has their name on the Stanley cup the most times mm-hmm. or who won the most cups. But, uh, from a hobby standpoint, if you look it up, he's got over a thousand cards, um, going all the way back to like his group two beehive card or what's considered his rookie card, the 57, 58 Parkhurst, mm-hmm. um, and all the way up through modern, you know, uh, this year, Upper Deck had that ceremonial puck drop set, uh, mm-hmm. which he has a card in there. And they also, he shares the spotlight on one of the Cup Foundation cards um, with Jacques Plante, or as my son called him, Jacques Plante, because he had no idea whose name he was reading. And I laughed my head off for like well, an hour. Well, the first time but... I saw Guy Lafleur, I pronounced it guy Lefleur, and my mom cracked up and then politely corrected me uh and then it, later on i found out that guy Lafleur was her favorite player in the 70s so nice. when i you know when i'm saying guy Lefleur, it was uh obviously not pronounced that way right well and there's been a lot of other you know more recent entries into his uh, checklist, I guess. Leafs had a bunch of various game used and cut autos and various sets they've come out. In fact, talking about cut auto, Topps Heritage 
you know, the baseball set. Yep. So Topps Heritage for this year, the 2020 set, has celebrity cut signatures, and they're all serial numbered. He has one in there in the brand new set. Why would Andre Richard have a card in a baseball set? I don't know, but it shows up on the checklist. It's a one-of-one autograph cut signature. So maybe they had it in their archives and they decided to dump it. But uh, So he's definitely, uh, I mean, from a hobby standpoint, he's definitely collectible. That's for sure. Um, You know, his prices have jumped, obviously. The... uh, the effect of players passing away is is not missed on the hobby, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you want to call it people capitalizing on a tragedy or if it's just people realize, hey, this guy's gone now, so if there's anything out there that's one of a kind, snatch it up when you can. Um, but you can pick up, you know, if you're into the graded type thing, you can pick up eight nines of his rookie card for anywhere from 700 to a thousand bucks. In most cases, raw ones go for five to seven. Mm. So, um, you know, it's one of those things, a thousand cards. That's definitely attainable for a player collector. But, uh, I think his, uh, I don't, I don't recall seeing many of his cards in my collection, to be honest Hmm. with you. I went back and looked and tried to find some things. I found a few from the early 70s, but that's about it. I didn't find a lot in any tribute sets. I remember um, maybe about 10, 12 years ago, I bought a signed photo of Henri Richard. It was towards the end of his career. He had gray hair in the picture. And I got it for something ridiculously cheap, like four or five dollars. This guy just had it was an autograph seller, and they just had a stack of them. And I bought one of those, huh? Four or five bucks. That's crazy. Yeah, but I mean, it's funny because there's a lot of guys that I, I've 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 picked up like before they pass away. You know, there's always like this kind of like time where like players will do a lot of signings. Or they've signed so much for years that the surplus of autographs, you know, they 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 add up. And so then the dealers will sell them. I want to say I bought, I know like one time I bought a, um, I want to say it was Woody Dumart, one of the, one of the Krautline guys on the Bruins that played with Milt Schmidt. I got like a signed photo of him for something ridiculous like, five dollars or eight dollars i mean it was one of those autographs where i wasn't looking for one but it was like so cheap and i'm like oh my god this guy's in the hall of fame heck yeah i'm gonna buy that for five dollars another one i remember another one i found was um johnny bauer and um it was five bucks yeah i mean again this was like 10 15 years ago so i mean at the time when i was just like i must have everything that you know, where my collecting was just like this giant, like, want, 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 want. And I wasn't really selective. So I was like, oh, I really want to have a signed photo of Marcel Dion. And then I would buy one. Oh, I really want to have a signed photo of Guy Lafleur, And I'd buy one. You know what I mean? Like, I was just, I was kind of like on this binge of like co- collecting autographed 8x10s. So then I'd look and I'd be like, oh, what do you do, Mart? Yeah, that guy's in the Hall of Fame. 
five dollars heck yeah i'm gonna buy that you know um and Andre Richard, same thing. I remember picking up that signed photo of him for cheap. But the other thing that was really uh, nice, though, is that I remember writing to Richard probably in like 2006, and he signed my cards and uh, sent them back, signed them in blue Sharpie marker. And, uh, you know, I think at that time, when at that time when I was collecting autographs uh, through the mail, I was focusing on a lot of those original six players because, like you said, they're not going to be around forever. And, in fact, I missed my opportunity to write to my favorite original six player, Gump Worsley. I was actually writing him a letter, and then I, like, found out one day that he had passed away. And I'm just like, oh, man, like, I never sent him the letter that I had written because I was just going to get, you know, I was just kind of going through them, you know what I mean? And it's like, oh, well, he's in the, he's in the 64, 65 Parker's Tallboys set. You know, I'm going to send him that card and I'm going to send him a 57 or 56, 57, uh, was it Missing Link? You know what I mean? Like I had these cards set aside and I just needed to write the letter. Um, so it's obviously, you know, all, all those guys, all those original six guys. I mean, that's another reason why it's, it's, I mean, the death of anybody is sad. Somebody who had a full life, maybe not as sad, but, um, you know, because they had a full life and they had, you know, a career and, 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 and you know, created a lot of great memories for people. Um, well, and that's exactly it. It causes you to focus on the tribute portion of it rather than, oh, my God, I can't believe they died. What'd they die from? Oh, what happened? What's this? What's that? Were they living their life bad? This and that. When somebody lived a long life and had those kinds of accomplishments, they can be celebrated and, you know, it it makes it easier to celebrate the the accomplishments. But those guys are just, they were just all so classy. I mean, I remember just those original six guys. I mean, I mean, I remember meeting Jean Beliveau as a kid and I remember meeting um, Stan Makita and Bobby Hull and, um, you know, I'm trying to think about who else have I met. Um, Bobby origi- Hull's hilarious. Uh, Bobby Hull is funny. Uh, Stan Makita was funny. He was he was really like like whip smart funny. Um, yeah, Bobby Hull, is. Hull was at a local show by me. Yep. Um, shockingly enough, I couldn't believe that they had Bobby Hull there, which he makes a lot of autograph appearances. So, um, so I guess it shouldn't be that surprising. But just to see him in a little little town close to where i was but he was there and man he was just having a good old time signing stuff telling stories cracking jokes with everybody i mean it was it was fun to watch i kind of hung around a couple tables that were near the autograph table just so i could hear him talking to people so so um another noteworthy thing that happened uh in the world of hockey was that the florida panthers retired uh, roberto luongo's jersey is number one and uh you know i was looking at his stats and i was just like saying you know luongo is that uh he is that classic i don't say classic but obviously he was a great goaltender but he was a great goaltender on a really horrible team in the panthers because in the 11 seasons that he was with the panthers they only made the playoffs one time and that was during his second stint with the panthers they made the playoffs so he played 11 seasons like 10 and a half seasons with the panthers because he got traded from vancouver back to the panthers um 
during uh uh what i forget which season um but it was at, yeah and and um so he only played like the end of that season with the panthers um yeah so i mean he he had like respectable numbers or better than respectable numbers i mean he's third all times in wins i mean a lot of that had to do with playing with the canucks when the canucks really became a powerhouse i mean unfortunately he wasn't um on any teams that could get it done because like i said the panthers you know not a playoff bound team in 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 10 of his 11 seasons um with the canucks he made the uh postseason most of the time i mean he was even their team captain which is not really supposed to happen goalies aren't supposed to be captains but the canucks just made him goalie uh, just made him captain and the nhl he just couldn't wear the c that's all but he had a c on his mask he did have it on the mask and he said that was for canucks but whatever we know we know um so uh yeah so i mean obviously i'm happy for luongo um i you know i think what's interesting is that I think he's a lock to make the Hall of Fame. Oh, no doubt. Third all-time. But the thing is, is you know, what are, what are all the naysayers? But he didn't win any cups, right? That's the first thing they always say. And then the second thing they say is, oh, but he didn't really win any individual awards. Well, no. I mean, he won the Jennings Trophy, which um, he pretty much won that Jennings Trophy. I mean, the backup played 25 games. He played the rest of the games uh so uh, i mean was that in vancouver yeah what was the backup at the time oh i want to say it was Corey schneider Corey schneider yeah okay so um so i was thinking but you know and and he's obviously no slouch either but that was when schneider was kind of just easing his way into the um into uh the league um as long goes back up um so, you know, and then, of course, the Canucks lost in the 2011 Stanley Cup Finals. Can't really fault him for that. I mean, you're as good as the team in front of him. And like I said, I think, okay, so the Canucks were a good team around then, but they couldn't get it done. Um, but, you know, I when I think of Luongo, um, I think of two things, three things. I think of uh, his hilarious Twitter account. I think of his, um, it sounds like I'm eulogizing him like he's dead and he's not. He's very much alive and enjoying retirement. <laughs> but I think of that, the 2010 Olympics, just how he was awesome in that. I mean, yeah. it was in Vancouver. So he was playing in front of, in his home rink, in front of his home crowd, his home country, won the, the gold medal. But I mean, an overtime game against the United States. I mean, it doesn't get any better or closer than that or more clutch than that. And then um, I think about the the funny poetry that he did for, um, I don't know if it was an episode. I don't think it was Hockey Night in Canada. It might have been for TSN. He did these poems and they were great. Um, <laughs> just, just a funny video that he did back in the day. Um but yeah, I mean, um, Is that the one where he had the goofy hat and the glasses on. Yeah, he was like trying to be like a like a like a philosophy professor yeah. or something, or like yeah, a, yeah. like a poetry teacher. Yeah, so he had like the hat and the the uh, the glasses. Yeah, that was that was awesome. Uh, so yeah, I mean, hey, congratulations! It's always great when a player gets their number retired. I mean, honestly, I can't think of. Is there another Florida Panther with his number retired? I don't know. Uh, I think that's the first number Florida has retired. 
Really, uh, and it should. It which should honestly, be. Vancouver needs to retire it too. So you think so? Oh yeah. Why wouldn't they? They retired the Sedines. They should retire number one. I'd be okay with that. Then that I mean, puts why, them. In, why not? Puts them in exclusive company as one of the few players to have his number retired by two teams. I mean, why not? If you look at if you look at the bulk of the bulk of the best years he had in the league, I mean that's that that's where you're going to find it. So, you know, he was a 47 game winner his first year with Vancouver. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah, that's well, the thing when you talk about. Okay, he doesn't have any awards. He doesn't have any cups. He doesn't have this. He doesn't have that. What do you want your goalie to be? Like, if you have a starting goaltender, what do you want your goalie to be? You want him to be a 20-game winner? Sure. 30-game? Yeah. How about 40-game? Does that make you an elite goaltender? I mean, what what constitutes that? Is it you just go off of your save percentage? Do you go off your goals against average? I mean, you're talking a guy that, you know, he's got a career goals against of like 2.5. So, you know, is that the best? No. It's certainly not the worst. And there's Third probably guys. Time and wins. Yeah. And, and there's probably guys that may have some hardware with a lot worse stats in front of him mm-hmm. in Toronto. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't see, I, I don't see the uh, hockey hall keeping him out. No, not of course not. No, and I think that'd be exciting if he got his number also retired uh, by the uh, by the Canucks. Yeah. So no, um, that's, what, that's that's what I'm thinking. I think they should retire it too. So if you are looking to get a uh, Roberto Luongo rookie card, he has rookie cards in 1997, 98 sets: Don Elite, Black Diamond, and Zenith. I probably have one of those sets, at least one of those sets. So I know I have his rookie card somewhere so that's exciting i think it was also in beehive that year uh as an autograph yes the yeah the the five by seven yeah 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 Yeah, he's in there yeah Um, the black diamond one the black diamond one was the year that they made them um so they always had like single diamond, double diamond, triple diamond. They were different colors. Hmm. So like the regular base was the silvery color. Hmm. Uh, the double was a uh, red. The triple was yellow, I believe. Um, but yeah, you can find you can find the black diamond one. Usually the graded ones are going to go from like a hundred to one hundred and fifty bucks. Hmm. Um, you could generally find them for. Um, Ungraded, you can get them a lot cheaper than that. Um, just depends on what you're looking for. I have this, I have a Zenith one, I always liked that one. I like the way that looked. That that Zenith, that 97 98 uh, Zenith set. So I have yeah. the one. For... I may I'm, have uh... the black diamond. I don't know. I'll have to go look. Let me see here. Oh, I yeah. forget he was in that. I forget he was in that year. Yeah, it's funny because a lot of these cards, like uh, he's with Zenith and with Black Diamond, he's pictured with Team Canada, 
And then with, um, like, Bowman CHL, he's pictured in, like, uh, Canadian Hockey League or Quebec Major Junior Hockey League All-Star jerseys. And then um, in Zdonis Elite, he's pictured as an Islander. Uh, sadly, it's post-Fish Sticks because um, it's got, like, the waves, like the Fish Stick, but it doesn't have the Fisherman. It just has, like, a, an Islander's logo. Oh. Uh, which is too bad because you know I have a I have a fish sticks jersey and I always say, who can I get on my fish sticks jersey? And I look at some of the great players that just missed playing that on that team. I mean, if Zdeno Chara was on the Islanders when uh, they used the Fisherman logo, I would I'd want to get Chara on my jersey because that would just be awesome, right? Or Luongo. But neither of those guys played in the Fisherman or Fish Sticks jersey. So, yeah, because I think Chara, Chara didn't debut till the next season, and they right. already gone. Right, and 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 here, I mean, uh, it's showing a picture of Luongo in the preseason because I don't think he played with them in that year, uh, and he didn't play. He did, wasn't part of the Fisherman era. Um, so Ninety-seven, ninety-eight. You mean? Yeah, ninety-seven, yeah. ninety-eight. They they weren't using that logo anymore. I want right. to say that was just for, was it 95, 96, 96, 97, I want to say. You know, I wrote an article about it um, on Puck Junk. I will um, I will link to it in the Put comments. Put it in the show notes. There you go. Put it in the show notes, right, because I, I talk about my, my quest to own a fish sticks jersey and how excited I was to find one and how I didn't have the money for it, so I put it on layaway. Nice. Ask ask your parents what layaway means. Good old layaway. Good old layaway. Yeah. So um, most of my Christmas presents for my formative years of my youth, oh, spent yeah? time on layaway at Hills. Oh, Hills. Never been to Hills. Are the, they upscale? All, all my all all my greater Pittsburgh area friends will know what I'm talking about when they hear Hills. Hills. <laughs> Is it upscale? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. The only thing I think the only thing lower quality than Hills was Gabe's. Uh, you probably don't know that one because I don't think they had them in the Chicago area. But yeah, Gabe's was was pretty bad too. But uh, Hills was a good store. It was like a it was sort of like Kmart, kind of. Okay, so that's pretty low on the uh, as far as like stores go. Yeah. It's just the different. I think the difference was Kmart had the Icy's and Hills had the Slush Puppies. So yeah, and we already we've already agreed that the Slush Puppies were better. Oh yeah, of course. Or wait, yeah, I think it went Slurpee, Slush Puppy, Icy, and then Frozen. Yeah, sounds right. Which Frozen was just a stu- that was like a name. I'm not gonna that argue was... with that list. No, but I mean, I remember when Kmart like when they phased out Icy's for frozen they were called frozens or a frozen you'd order a frozen is what it was called and it's like they obviously spent like three seconds thinking of a name what should we call this frozen drink that's it's not an icy but it's still frozen that's it frozen you know and and before frozen became like a mega franchise disney film oh and once they did that you do it was the beginning of the end you know do what when they changed the name that was the end of Kmart, as we well, know it. They didn't change the name. They just, I think, they just substituted one for the other. 
Well, probably had way. to do with like if like Coca-Cola or Pepsi Cola was dispensing their drinks in the snack bar. Either way, look where they are now. Kmart? Yeah. Yeah, they're they're far and few between in Chicago. We've got none over here anymore. Yeah. Um actually the last time I went to a Kmart this had to be around 2012 or so. And I remember walking in and they just had like, you know, like when they have like the old boxes of sports cards for like $9.99 or something like that. And I bought, this had to be maybe 2014, it was maybe a little later in 2012. And I remember buying like a box of like, I want to say it was 0809 Panini hockey stickers for just ridiculously cheap. It was like maybe $20 or Maybe it was $30 for 50 packs. I don't think it was that much, though. It was half. It was like it was like it was pretty cheap. I remember getting like a whole box of Panini stickers for like really cheap at Kmart. That was my last Kmart purchase. In 98 and 99, that's where I got all my hockey cards was mostly from Kmart because they had a great selection. They carried almost every Pacific product. So these were new at the time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I'm not talking after the fact. I'm talking at the time when they came out, when they were new. They always had they had those. And they had Upper Deck UD Choice, and they mm-hmm. had regular Upper Deck, and they had uh, Topps Gold Label, and like I said, all the Pacific products. Kmart was, they, they were doing it up good with mm-hmm. cards back then. So... Yeah, I, I even remember, like, as far back as, like, say, like, 90, I want to say it's like, 95 or 96, um, they had, like, old sport card boxes for, like, 10 to $15, and I want to say I got a full box of 92-93 Pro Set for nine ninety nine, or maybe it was fourteen ninety nine. It was pretty damn cheap, and I remember looking at that and saying, wow, I don't even remember this coming out in 92-93. Like, that was Pro Set's last Pro Set hockey set. And I looked at it, and I'm just like, oh, this is this is cool. Like, I've never seen this before. So I bought it, opened it, built a set from it, um, you know. And then I'd always check Kmart, you know. Even 20 years later, I'd check Kmart to see. I mean, if I go into a Kmart now, I'm going to find their card aisle and see if they have some random box of something repacked. Not, not a repacked, but like, you know, a 97 Upper Deck Choice box or something for like 19.99 or something. 97, 90, I think it was 97, 98 Donruss. I got there mm-hmm. in a box for $9.99. Isn't that fun? Yeah, it was great. People complain back, about Jump People went back and bought two more because that was the year that they had those. Um, was it Donruss or was it Pinnacle? Maybe it was Pinnacle. Which one had the Epics? That was Pinnacle, right? Pinnacle. Yeah, that's what they were. They were Pinnacle. Because they had those epics inserts where it was like, you might have got one per box, maybe yeah. not. Yeah. So I went back and got two more. The one box I pulled, a, I got a Steve Eiserman in the one, and I was like, yeah, it's awesome. And I got two more boxes, and there was nothing in them. Bummer. Yeah. <laughs> so my favorite hockey name to say is actually Mika Zibanejad. I just love saying that name. It To me... It's it sounds like a made up name, like 
if you were just making up a name, like I was hanging out with my friend and your wife or girlfriend or who, who's your friend? Oh, you, you know, uh, Mika, Mika Zabanajad. Yeah, you know, you met him once, right? You know, like it's just, it, it's, it's a fun name to say. It sounds made up. Most people can't pronounce it. They say Zabinajad. Oh, am I say, I'm, I'm saying it. Or, I'm saying it right, aren't I? I think so. Yeah, I mean, that's oh, how the announcer said it during the Rangers broadcast when he scored five goals. Yeah, a lot of people say Zabinajad, but there's no uh-huh. I. It's an A. So, yeah, so, five goals. So, that's no, but what's, right? what's interesting is that, so, dude is, uh, he's Swedish, right? But he's right. of Iranian heritage. Yes. So, I mean, we have an Iranian Swede. So he's got like this Swedish first name, Mika, and then Zabanajad. I mean, obviously not a, a, a Swedish name. It's, you know, a Iranian last name. So I, I just love the guy, you know? I mean, I, I think that's awesome. I mean, to, to see somebody like, you know, like that, that's, um, you know, has uh, heritage from one country, but roots in another country, um, and, uh, and he's, you know, he's a damn good player, but like, wow. I mean, as of this recording, he's at 40 goals already. I mean, in big part because of that five goal game against, uh, against the Capitals, never a bad feeling when the Capitals lose in overtime, right? I have no problem with it. Yeah. Would I rather them lost in regulation, but you know, but then he wouldn't have had that sweet overtime game. What, what I loved about his five goal game and uh, actually i was a little annoyed because he didn't score he scored five of the six goals for the uh the rangers which is fine i mean other guys got to score too obviously but like the first goal was a deflection where he's just standing in, in front of the net somebody takes a slap shot he tips it redirects it gets it in um he does a one-timer slap shot for his second goal. His third goal was a shot from in close for somebody passed him the puck and he shot it in like a nice, accurate, it accurate shot, but he's, he's almost parallel. He's, uh, he's almost along the goal line, just a little bit, you know, not, you know, very tough angle, um, shot in close. The fourth one was a rebound off the boards where somebody fired in a shot. It banked off the boards, right place, right time, right thing to do. Um, but I mean, you got to get open for that, obviously. And then right. that breakaway in overtime. So, I mean, this wasn't just him scoring the same kind of goal five times. These were all very different goals. And that's, that's exciting and amazing and, and awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's great for him. I mean, now he's up, like you said, he's up to 40 for the year. He's never scored that in his career. Um, it's Great for Ranger fans, that's for sure. Especially for a team that's supposedly rebuilding. Mm-hmm. Well, now people are actually starting to talk. Like, could they make the playoffs? Are they gonna, you know, are they gonna possibly, you know, be able to surprise some people? So, um, it's definitely it's good for it. It's good for Ranger fans, and it's good for his game. That's for sure. And it's. <laughs> It's great for his hobby perspective, that's for sure, too. Yeah, so talk I, about that. Well, I can tell you, I didn't realize I had one of his, I mean, obviously, I, I had it in a set, I think, my my upper deck set, but I didn't realize, 
that I had the canvas young gun of his. And I was just going through a box of cards. I'm like, oh, he's been in the news lately. Let's see what's going on here. And I looked at some prices for that card. And we're talking a card that was maybe eight to ten bucks. Mm-hmm. Mm, oh, I don't know. A month ago, selling for 30 to 40 bucks now in less than a month. So if you, you talk about the immediate impact of a player's performance affecting the hobby. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the investor factor that's spilled over because you don't hear that a lot in hockey. Um, obviously basketball, mm-hmm. you know, you have all the investors, you know, scratching and clawing their way, looking for Luca cards and, and uh, um, Zion cards. And you, you get it in football guy has a good, goes off on a weekend and, you know, rookie cards go up and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, baseball obviously has always been a prospector sport, people hoarding rookies, seeing if it was going to be the next big thing. And, you know, you can make a case for hockey being like that too, but I have never until the last couple of years seen individual performances actually reflect in card prices on the market. It's crazy. Individual meaning like one game. Yeah. One game or even a string of games, because as, as any hockey fan knows, it's very hard to sustain, sustain. It's easy for you to say. Um, it's very hard to sustain long-term success unless you're one of the elite players. Mm-hmm. And here's an example. You know, he's at the point where he's, he's up to 40. He hasn't done that. But at the same time, he scored five goals in one game. So obviously that made a big difference. Mm-hmm. There's five goals that a normal person, I shouldn't say normal, uh, a good player that averages, that's a point per game person, you know, okay, well, there's five games in the schedule to get mm-hmm. five, you know, five goals. Knocks those out in one fail swoop. And all of a sudden people are paying attention and the demand for a card like that that didn't really have the traction that I saw. And again, I'm I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not a Zabanajad fan by any means necessarily. I'm not Would a that collector make you, of his. Um, a Zabana fan? A Zabana fan? Is that what Zabana we're calling Zabana fan, it? yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I didn't pay that close of attention to it, but looking at closed prices and, and final prices and historic data on this, I'm like, there's no way this card is 40 bucks. You know, just looking at it, I'm like, there's no way. And going back and looking, I'm like, yeah, a month ago or two months ago, these were, you could find them for five bucks, but most of them are eight, $10, 30 to 40 bucks. Now it's, it's crazy. It's actually crazy. And it's something that I've always wondered about because being a collector as long as I have, looking back on it, and I and, and granted, this is all with an asterisk because most of these players were made, or most of these players were rookies during the 
overproduction era of cards. Right. But you look at all of these super superstars, like bona fide superstars and Hall of Famers that played from you know nineteen eighty three through nineteen heck, I'd even say two thousand and one. You know, you, you go through that whole time frame and you don't see that huge fluctuation on rookie cards of Hall of Famers and superstars. They don't get that hobby love because how many people have a 90-91 upper deck Yager rookie? Probably everyone. Right. Multiple copies. Right. You know? A Martin Brodeur rookie from Score. Everybody has hundreds of them. You know, they're everywhere. You know, the you know, Ronix rookie cards, they're everywhere. Right. right. You know, Lindros, they're everywhere. You know, the list goes on and on and on. Well, but that's going back twenty, thirty, that's going back like thirty years now. So sure, I mean, but you know, these guys, the guys don't get but these guys don't get the fluctuation. And yeah, granted, people are starting to get these cards graded. And, you know, higher grade ones are trading and selling it at higher volumes. But it seems like the only fluctuations happen when their names come up for whatever reason. This guy's going into the Hall of Fame. This guy died. This guy got arrested. This guy did this. This guy did that. So players that are currently playing to see that, hey, this guy had a really great game. The next day, it's like the stock market. You go and look at it. Holy crap, this card was two bucks yesterday. Mm-hmm. Closed auction finished overnight at 20 bucks, and there's another one up right now for 17 with 18 bids. And you're just like, what the heck just happened here? And I, I don't know. I, I've always wondered, you know, what what position hockey cards would be in in the grand scheme of things if that had always been the case or if that had been the case for a much longer time frame i've only recently seen that like I, you really never did mm-hmm. you're talking about the 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 rookie cards of newer players fluctuating wildly based on a yeah, game to game performance sure the the immediate impact of i, I don't know what you would call it individual performance performance yeah because i mean look everybody's always gonna gonna go for Sidney crosby rookies mm -hmm. he's a bona fide superstar everybody's gonna try to get mcdavid they're gonna try to get ovechkin they're gonna try to get matthews they're gonna go after eichel they're gonna you know these are superstar guys that are going to hold their value in the long term but mika zabinajah when did people say his name when did people talk about him in the hobby now all of a sudden a five dollar card is 40 bucks overnight because of one performance. It's like, uh, really? Oh, uh, I want to clarify something real quick. Um, uh, Zabanajad is actually, uh, his, uh, mother is from Finland and his father is from Iran and he was born in Sweden. So I, I, uh, I earlier when I said that he was of, uh, Iranian, descent that's partially true because his mother is Finnish but he is from Sweden so there you go I knew what you meant well no I mean I just I just want to you know want to be as accurate as possible I mean I, I find that 
I find that fascinating, just how, you know, because I was thinking, I'm like, well, Mika's a Finnish name. I know that's a Finnish name, but he was born in Sweden. But Zabanajan, you know, his last name is obviously not Finnish or Swedish. So just funny how, how that, that sometimes with Sometimes with two Ks. Sometimes my, with two I's. My problem, like, I was like, oh, you know, I like this player. I like, I, like I said, I've always liked Zabanajad. But I'm probably more aware of him as a Ranger than as a Senator. So then when I started looking at his rookie cards, I'm like, ah, he's a Senator. And then I'm like, I don't want the card. Because one, he's in a Senator's jersey. And two, he doesn't have the long hair that he has now. So, like, I look at his rookie cards and I'm just like, yeah, it's him. I, and here's my problem with a lot of, with, uh, no, okay, this is a personal problem. This is not like an NHL problem. I think it's great that players have more um, say in their career. Now, I think, uh, I think uh, Zabanajad was traded, but um, let me just double check that. Yeah, show trades. Like, he was traded from the Senators to the Rangers, but you have a lot of players move around. I mean, look at how much Phil Kessel has moved around. Look at how much, um, you know, uh, certain players, I don't know, just pick one, anyone. I mean, Taylor Hall. I mean, think of, like, any, like, awesome first-round draft pick player who's not Sidney Crosby or Alex Ovechkin. And you see a lot of these guys, they start with one team for two or three years, they get traded, or they play with one team for a bunch of years like Tavares did, and then they go and sign with another team. So I guess it's like if I was a Tavares fan now, I'd want his rookie card, but I'd kind of be like, eh, but he's an Islander. You know what I mean? On that card. Although he was an Islander a long time. I think it's a little more, I think it's a little bit harder, like, can people who are Panarin fans, Artemi Panarin fans, be really excited about his rookie card? Because he's with the Blackhawks on that rookie card. Well, maybe because he won Rookie of the Year. So he was accomplished with the Blackhawks. But it's always funny when you see like a rookie card of a player and it's like, oh, oh yeah, he played a handful of games with that team. Nobody cared about him. He gets traded to another team. Now everybody wants him, his rookie card. But, you know, he's pictured with some team that he hardly made an impact with on it, you know? Well, and we were talking about Chara earlier. There's a good example. His Perfect rookie card, he's on an Islander. People don't remember him as an Islander or a Senator. They remember him as a Boston Bruin because he's been there long enough and he's uh, cemented his legacy on that team. So, you know, you don't have those memories of him on, I mean, you might, but hmm. most people wouldn't. And for, mm -hmm. definitely from a card standpoint, especially somebody that's newer getting into cards, they'd be like, oh, I'm going to get a Chara rookie because he's on the Boston. Nope. No, he's not. Yeah. yeah. It's just it's just kind of weird how that, uh, yeah, how that, uh, that happens. But um, I think my bigger point to this whole thing is how I, I feel like that whole immediacy thing of we're going to treat cards like the stock market and if they have a good game they're going to go up and if they have a bad game they're going to go down it's kind of i'm starting to notice it in hockey and i never did before i and maybe that's because i was blind to it and and there was so much of it in the other sports that i just ignored what little of it there was mm -hmm. but like i said rookie cards yeah they they they've been holding their value especially young guns 
especially the graded market, they're always high and they've been high. And hockey generally maintains its value, but that's exactly it. It maintains its value. You don't see a lot of huge fluctuation. So when you see something like this, and I guess because of this just happened, this is kind of what popped on into my mind. So mm -hmm. that's why I'm just shocked by this. And I started looking at some other guys too, um, which we could save for a future show if we would like to talk about that later on. But I've been noticing it in some other players as well. And I've been trying to take notice of, various performances and seeing how things work out so you know it it's an experiment i'm doing <laughs> let's just call it that. well all right so i think that uh, pretty much wraps it up from here so um just once again i want to just throw out real quick uh if you are in Sh chicago or chicagoland area over the weekend Come check out my table over at the Chicago Sports Spectacular held at the Donald E. Stevens Convention Center this weekend, March 13th uh, until March 15th, unless, you know, something otherwise happens. Um, I'm going to be there and the show's going to happen. Tim, anything else you want to add before we wrap it up for the day? Yeah, wash your damn hands. Wash your damn hands. All right. That is some timeless advice. Thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. And like always, be sure to tell your friends. Be sure to subscribe to the RSS feed. And until next week, peace out. Peace out. For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at Puck Junk.